1: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd at Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. Our March selection is Danya Kukofka's Notes on an Execution. It's about Ansel, who we know from the beginning is a convicted serial killer. He's set to be executed in 12 hours. The book is also about the women whose lives drastically changed because of Ansel. There's Lavender, his mom, Safi, a detective who's obsessed with this case, and Hazel, his wife's twin sister. That's all I'm going to say for now since this is a spoiler-free conversation. Danya, welcome to Nerdette.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Oh my gosh, I just loved this book so much. I thought it was fascinating and challenging in like all the right ways.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: (laughs) As I was talking to our mini book club, which is uh, our producer and executive producer (laughs) before talking to you this morning, we were trying to decide, we were arguing kind of about if this book is actually a thriller. Like, would you describe it as a thriller?
2: That is such a great question. Um, I think no, I would not describe it as a thriller. I would describe it as um, crime fiction, which I think is different, right? Okay. So I think, I mean, I think I know it does have some thriller aspects and maybe more of a mystery than a thriller, even though yeah. it's not totally a mystery either. it's it, it has mystery and thriller elements, but it's not a whodunit. Maybe that's a better right. way to
1: put it. Right. Well, and I'm, yeah, no, I think, I think that makes sense. Cause yeah, it is sort of inverted in that, like, you know, things happened, you know, mm-hmm. people did things, yeah. you know, but.
2: I, I think, I think I'm not spoiling anything by saying on the first page, you know who the killer is. Right.
1: Right. right. <laughs>
2: You're not searching for the killer the whole time. You know exactly who he is from the very first page. And I think that's what makes it less of a whodunit thriller mystery and more of, um, I I would go with literary crime fiction but also I don't know it has it it does satisfy some thriller readers it satisfies some more literary readers so I think it can go really either way well yeah
1: I think that's what was confusing for me is that like because I kind of I do describe it as a thriller Mm -hmm.
2: just because
1: and you know it's not necessarily thrilling in the way some of these like more salacious ones are I think you're right that it is still very literary but the plot is super propulsive in a way that a thriller often is, you know, where like you finish mm-hmm. one chapter and you're like, okay, I need to read the next chapter immediately, you know?
2: Yeah, I'd love to hear that since, I mean, since I wrote it and I spent so much time with it, <laughs> I cannot tell how quickly it reads. <laughs> That's like one of those things that you just lose track of kind of immediately as a writer. Sure. So I always love to hear that people like flew through it or that they like, you know, found that they couldn't put it down and things. That always makes me so happy.
1: Yay. So it seems like with this book, you're upending a lot of really interesting tropes around genres like thrillers or even true crime. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if we could talk about like some of those conventions, because I know that you have been a fan, especially of true crime for like a very long time. Like, what do you think? What were you trying to upend with this book?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up watching all of the really classic network crime TV shows like I Mm -hmm. loved Law and Order SBU has always been my favorite still love it um CSI Miami you know Criminal Minds all those shows where you really have a set structure from the very beginning right opens on the body usually the young white pretty body um and you the you follow the detectives the police throughout the procedure of catching the killer the killer is caught justice is served boom we're done and I sort of after consuming these shows for so many years, um, I sort of started asking myself, you know, what is the larger story here? I know this isn't it. I know there has to be something more human beneath all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And specifically the concept of the serial killer's mother. That was something that sort of hounded me for a long, long time. And I felt Mm -hmm. was never quite looked at as, you know, um, the, the deeper questions of, you know, how someone comes to be this way, but also how, um, a bad man like this affects so many more women than justice victims
1: yeah that's a really good way of putting that so that reminds me of something that i found really fascinating and it was actually the blurb that Britt bennett wrote for mm-hmm. this book um who Britt, the author of um, the mothers and more recently the vanishing half she used the word compassionate to describe mm-hmm. this book which at first kind of threw me off but i think it's i think it's it totally apt i think it completely works i was wondering how you interpret that
2: Yeah. I mean, the question of whether you have sympathy for the serial killer is an interesting one. And I think it's kind of loaded. Um, And my intention here was definitely compassion. Um, And I think sympathy is not the right word and compassion is the right word. Um, I think there is a world in which you can feel compassion for someone who has done these horrible things, but still not let him off the hook. And that's what I was aiming to do here was to look at his humanity, look at his reality while also making sure that he's not, you know, wiggling (laughs) away from the responsibility of any of, any of what he's done.
1: Right. Well, and I think also looking at, like, I think you do a really great job of sort of questioning The effectiveness of the death penalty, too, without being too overt about it, but just like, is this really what this fate should be for this person, you know?
2: Yeah, I got a I got a text from my um, sister the other day who was reading it again and she had read it before. She's a very good sister. Um, and She's reading Aww. it again. <laughs> I know she read an earlier draft like maybe a year and a half ago and she's reading it again and she texted me and she was like, you know, what struck me this time around was how crazy it is that they put all this effort into making sure these inmates don't commit suicide just to kill them. A mm. different way two hours later. And that was the reaction I was hoping to get of, about the death penalty from this book Is sort of just the pointlessness of it. Um, also, the the sort of procedure that goes around it and the grandiosity that comes with that procedure, I think, in some ways can can be almost a gift, um, to, to offenders and not, not by killing them, of course, but by giving them this outlet, this, uh, this place to put their outrage, um, to put them in the press, to give them this opportunity to Right, because in some ways it's a spotlight. Exactly. Exactly. And especially for men like my character Ansel, who have this belief that they're bigger and better than they are, that is exactly what they want. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I I do think it's more pain doesn't help anyone, more death doesn't help anyone. Um, And I was really trying to get that across as well. So it's a giant, giant, messy, complicated paradox.
1: So you mentioned Ansel and his sense of grandiosity. Um, Why make him a sociopath?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was playing with a lot of tropes with him. Right, right. You know, it was important to me that he's recognizable as the myth of the serial killer as we know it, right? It was important to me that you you see him and you're like, I know that guy, I've seen him in media for decades and decades, right? Um, And it was important to me that he inhabits that character because of all the things that I was trying to invert on the other side, right? Um, So I think, you know, there's a line somewhere in the book that like, no no two men are bad in the same way. And I think that's true. Um, And I wanted also to give him these set of the set of cliche characteristics, while also making sure that he was his own person. You know, um, there is no set of rules for what a sociopath looks like or what a serial killer looks like. They're just people and every person's brain looks different. And I wanted to make sure that he embodies that aspect as well.
1: And when you mentioned tropes, you're saying he's, he was like a good looking, charming guy. Yeah, He's pretty smart. He's pretty smart, but he's not as smart as he thinks exactly. he is. Exactly.
2: Um, yeah. He's, you know, he's, he feels he's been wronged his whole life mm-hmm. by women. And so he hurts them. It's pretty basic stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> it's the character we've seen for so many years in so many ways. Um, and a real influence for me, of course, is Ted Bundy, um, because mm-hmm. I don't think we can talk about serial killers in America without talking about Ted Bundy.
1: Mm hmm. So you think like if you had to choose one that he really is sort of like who you were kind of basing Ansel off of them?
2: Yeah, I mean, not even he's like less, less interesting than Ted Bundy. And I, ha- I even hate to say that because, <laughs> because I hate Ted right, Bundy and I hate right. the conversation around Ted Bundy. But mm-hmm. I, I gave him sort of just the amalgamation of all the characteristics from many, many of these men. But, you know, when you Google serial killer, you will always come up with Ted Bundy. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that's why, I think that's why he does have some Bundy traits as well.
1: That makes sense. So I don't want to spend too much time on Ansel because I feel like that's kind of the point. But I have a question that I get, I think arguably has more to do with structure than Ansel himself. But something that I thought was really interesting that you did with this book is, like Ansel has this, like it's almost a multiverse sort of theory Mm -hmm. about choices in different lives. It's like the idea that everyone is, more or less an inventory of the choices that they've made. Um, and I I loved how you played with that with some of the victims through this book. And it took time to explore what their lives could have been if they hadn't ended the way they had. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really beautiful. I thought it was a really significant divergence from what a lot of these sorts of stories are. Uh, and I was just curious, like, how that piece in particular came together.
2: Yeah, I was very tired of the dead bodies. Um you'll notice there are there are some dead bodies in this. Um there mostly from the perspective of a detective. Um, and that sort of also feeds into some of the police procedural tropes also intentionally. Um, but for the most part, I was very tired of, um, the victims of violent crime are so often defined by that violent crime, right? When you think of, mm-hmm. of you know, famous victims in, in real life, you think of, you know them because they were killed. Um, and that is something that I really wanted to fight against. Um, I wanted to think about what these girls would have wanted to be remembered for if they had not been killed, <laughs> right? Um, or mm-hmm. even parts of their lives. There's one one of the one of the victims. Um, she has a section in which she gives the reader another moment of her life to know her by. And I think that is not the pain, not the brutality, not the fact of being brutally murdered by some random guy. Um, and it's, it's a moment that feels more personal to her and more um, important to her that she's remembered this way. But of course, she's rarely remembered this way. She's often always remembered as the victim of this one man. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it was important to me to shine a light on those, those possibilities, I guess, the possibilities of what happens if you, if you were able to give those victims a voice beyond being victims.
1: I loved it. I thought it was gorgeous. And I thought it, it lent a I don't know if gravity is quite the right word. I mean, maybe it's just compassion again, but it just created a maybe dimensionality that often is missing and that I really appreciated.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for um, dead girls are often seen in sort of, you know, an angelic light, um, either either as as angels or just as their physical dead bodies, right? And I wanted to give them something beyond that.
1: More with Dania Kukafka in just a minute.
0: Nerdet is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: So this kind of goes back to, like, is this a thriller? You know, how exactly are we describing this? But one thing that I thought was really interesting that you balanced out was sort of the propulsive force of like we know Ansel is scheduled to be e- executed in 12 hours. And there's like literally a countdown clock mm-hmm. happening. Um, but the story doesn't all take place in the present. There are a lot of flashbacks, as you mentioned, starting from even before Ansel is born. There are a number of different points of view alternating too structurally, I wonder, like, what for you is the sweet spot between, you know, making sure you have that kind of like propulsive present action, but also making sure the backstory was interesting enough that that people were kind of like, okay with going back and forth between them?
2: Mm, I love that question. Um, (laughs) I think for me, it was a a matter of just sort of whittling it down to its barest, barest plot. If you're thinking about plot, I tend to be quite, quite um, condensed in terms of plot. I really like to write tight. scenes and to keep them tight and to keep them moving forward and for me that was important also making sure that every backstory moment had a reason to be there and told us something very specific that we needed for the front story um Mm -hmm. and everything you know I I work with a lot of writers in my day job and I I always like to say um you know every scene needs to have a reason
1: that's interesting and it almost makes me think of like breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That is that is what I intended. You know, there are all these little bits of information that are very carefully placed and moved around many, many, many times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think it's just a balance of eventually finding the right spot for each one.
1: That's fascinating. So I read that early readers told you that you should just take out Ansel altogether.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I could see that argument. I mean, it is a pretty compelling one. I do think structurally, like his... the the present day really helped move things along in a very specific sort of way. And that's where a lot of the plot tension is, since, as you mentioned, it's not necessarily a who done it. Yeah. Is that is that why you decided to keep him in?
2: Yeah, I actually had um, a reader suggest once that I tell his countdown from the perspective of, this isn't too much of a spoiler, there's a prison guard who he's become friendly mm-hmm. with who has mm-hmm. agreed to help him in some way, right? Um, and she's a woman and um, she's loosely based off Uh, Joyce Mitchell, who is a real woman who helped two men escape from a prison in upstate New York. There's a TV show about it. Um, It's called Escape from Dynamora. It's quite good. Um, Anyway, Mm. they suggested I tell Ansel sections from her instead. And I dabbled in that a little bit. But to me, actually, I think making a reader question Ansel's humanity and question that compassion is a huge factor in this book for me. I wanted that there. So the, the epigraph of the book um, is a Jenny Holzer. It's a piece of art by Jenny Holzer. It says, I'm awake in a place where women die. And I actually had an epigraph that went with that, that I couldn't get the rights for, because, for very obvious reasons, because it was a quote from a, a prisoner's blog, um, a man who was in on San Quentin death row. Um, and I believe it was, it read something along the lines of you must remember the world is only as deep as we are. Um, And I thought Hmm. for me, those two concepts moving in tandem were really interesting. And I didn't want to lose that tension, that tension between asking yourself to consider a, a serial killer's humanity and also to consider the terror of what he's left behind. I think that's part of what moves this book in the way that it does. And I didn't want to lose that either.
1: So, was it always written in the second person? The, oh, no, that's also fascinating.
2: <laughs> no, it was not. That was actually pretty late in the process. Um, really? I, yeah, so I had a really roundabout writing process for this novel. I had a lot of false starts. I started writing this book. From the perspective of it was told half from Ansel um, in the third person spanning his entire life. I did not have the countdown structure. And then it was told half from a character who's barely in there anymore named Blue. Um, And I, mm -hmm, and that was in the first person and Ansel was in the third person. Um, And I sent it to my agent and said, here's my second book. And she said, no, this is not (laughs) it. And uh, I mean, thank goodness for her because, you know, it clearly was the right move, Um, but it was fairly devastating at the time. And I threw the whole thing out. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I literally trashed it. I had to um, and started (sighs) over. And that was when the countdown structure came into play. And um, as I was writing that, I wrote it entirely in the third person first. Um, And I knew something was missing. It felt really flat to me. It did not feel particularly compelling. I didn't know what was wrong with it. And of course, I was watching yet another one of those Ted Bundy documentaries. I think it was like the re-release tapes or something like that. And I was thinking to myself, sort of, why do we care so much, right? Why are we watching these things over and over again about the same one boring man? Um, What is it about him that is so compelling? And I sort of came to the thought, we want to know what it's like in his head. Um, However morbid and morose that is, we want to know. There's something like, yeah. intrinsically interesting about what it feels like to be a person that bad. And I think it, p- part of us is constantly wondering whether we could be that bad too, right? And that was the moment the second person sort of hit me like a lightning bolt. Um, And I said, I I sat down and I just, I literally typed the exact same words into the second person that had already been in the third person. And it was like magic. It was amazing. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So to what extent do you think the fact that I loved this book, like implicates me in what it's (laughs) trying to take down?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's the big question. Um, And I think (laughs) I'm implicated, you're implicated, everyone who reads it is implicated. We picked it up because we want to know about serial killers. (laughs) Uh I read it because I want to know about serial killers. And I think there's just no way around that fact. Um, And I think that's okay. I do. I think asking the questions about about that fact, the fact that you're asking that and the fact that I'm unable to answer it, I think is part of the point of the book. Um, Mm. (laughs) Right? It's just sort of, it's almost... I heard somewhere, you know, a novelist's job is not to answer a question, it's to ask it. And I, I hope that this is what that's doing.
1: Yeah, you're, yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's funny because, like, my own personal, like, I don't do true crime stuff because mm-hmm. it it makes me too uncomfortable. It's sometimes gross sometimes, right?
2: It's really gross. Yeah, yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah,
1: like, these are lives, like, these, mm-hmm. you know, there are grieving mothers mm-hmm. that we're not seeing in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think... Yeah, you definitely get to a lot of that. But there's something about when it's fiction where I'm like, all right, let's go.
2: (laughs) I mean, same. Definitely same, obviously. So
1: you mentioned that writing is not your day job.
2: No. Yeah, I work um, I work as a literary agent also with Trellis Literary Management. Um, it's very fun. I get to work with authors. I don't know if you can tell just from the short interview, but I'm a pretty extreme extrovert for a writer. Um, and <laughs> I have I have dabbled in writing full time and found that it was so sad and lonely. And for me, it was really important to have something else going on and being part of writers' lives and being a part of a community and having conversations every day to me, it just keeps me awake and alive.
1: Huh. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Cause yeah, I feel like a lot of the writers I talk to, like the goal, the end goal is to be able to write full time.
2: Yeah, no, I did it. I, uh, I did it. I was supporting myself financially writing full time for a couple of years and I've never been so miserable. Um, truly, I was so unhappy waking up every day and having my only job was to write a book. I was like, it was terrifying. It was absolutely <laughs> pa- paralyzing. I mean, I could not get out of bed in the mornings. Um and now I'm like, okay, well I have a meeting at eleven, so I have two hours to write before that and you better get up and do it. Um and mm. that for me works so much better. And I'm a pretty I'm like pretty neurotic person. I'm pretty intense generally speaking, and I like to be <laughs> constantly in motion. Um so that's just me and my like particular level of neurotic. <laughs> I don't know. You're like a shark. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> I, I can't I can't stop moving, um, generally speaking. So sitting in one place and working on one thing for hours and hours and hours on end is just it was the challenge of my life and I did do it. Um, you know, this book came from it, but I don't think I need to do it again.
1: Interesting. But you are planning on writing more still. Yes.
2: Yes, I am. I am writing. I'm I'm still writing every day. Um, and, and for me, that's kind of the key, you know, is being able to carve out that perfect amount of time, which for me is an hour or two every day, um, and still have a, a full enriched life. Otherwise, um, I think that's the healthiest way to do it for myself. I know that's not the case for a lot of other writers, and I so admire those who can sit down and just be a writer in that way. Um, I think it's it's a gift, and um, for me, a little bit of a curse. <laughs> that's
1: so. This mm-hmm. makes me
2: think that you probably don't sleep very much. I actually do. I, I oh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I sleep. I sleep a lot, and I actually. I mentioned it was like hard to get out of bed in the morning I'm, i i mm. cannot function in the mornings it's like so embarrassing my partner's always making fun of me because he's like a real morning person and like <laughs> to get myself out of bed at 7 45 is like a oh, feat um and i do it um but i don't like it <laughs>
1: oh that's so funny well i appreciate that you got out of bed to talk to me today.
2: <laughs> for you of course <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Y'all know the drill. Read the book and then let us know what you think about it. We would love to hear from you. The way you do that is you can record yourself on your little smarty phone and then email the audio file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. Do it before we record on Friday, March 25th, and then tune in the last Tuesday of the month to hear the conversation. The show is produced by me and Anna
0: Baumann. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We
1: will see you on Friday.